The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 26 The Dusk Kept Dropping June 2002 Lana never showed up, I said as we headed for home. Sam nodded. Yeah, she texted me that something came up at Mugsuvius. Our family isn't exactly known for our reliability. So far, the drive home from Logan's party had been a lot more fun than the drive there. Sam and I had both calmed down from the teleportation incident, though the monster picture book incident and the ghost in the mirror incident had kind of raised my heart rate again. Somehow, though, the drive in the dark with the velvet summer night pouring in the car windows made things feel all right again. I liked Logan, and I liked being in Sam's house. It had been a pretty good day, all things told. We had switched out driving duties. I had my eyes on the road and some sort of quiet instrumental 80s music playing on the stereo. Sam had been staring out the window for the last 20 minutes. I didn't think he was upset. I think he was just tired. We had been driving through the heart of Seattle for a few minutes now, and... Seeing all the skyscrapers lit up for the night was making me feel nostalgic. Somehow it felt like it was time for that quiet, sort of meandering nighttime conversation. The kind I tried to replicate on my show. So when I was a kid, I said, the city seemed magical. As opposed to now, he said, looking up out at the skyscrapers. I smiled and loosened my grip on the wheel, reminding myself I didn't need to be so tense. I rolled my window down all the way, letting the wind ripple over my clothes and through my hair. It had been a week of record heat in Seattle, and I was having a hard time believing this was even Seattle at all. It was beautiful, though. Buildings towered all around us, enclosing us, fencing us in like a barrier, protecting us from everything scary and evil and threatening in the world. We would go on these long walks, I continued. Sam didn't say anything, but a soft smile and nod suggested that these kinds of memories weren't too foreign to him either. And, you know, the streets and the landscapes were sort of steps right so if you knew where to look if you paid really close attention to the breaks in the trees you would find these staircases covered in ivy leading up through the forest to the next sidewalk and the next street and as a kid it I mean you know it kind of felt like a portal to another world or something Sam glanced at me were you named after it the ivy on the staircases in your story I actually didn't know what to say about that. I'd never thought about it before. I doubted they actively named me after a particular patch of undergrowth, but I suppose it was possible. It was a nice thought, actually. I would have liked to have think they did. 
I didn't say anything and Sam didn't ask anything. Instead, he turned back to the window. When I was a kid, I knew I never wanted to leave, he said. I lived on a street where I could go outside anytime I wanted, and when I did, there was always somebody interesting to talk to. I lived on a street with a college professor and a screenwriter and a couple Microsoft execs and a lady who owned a construction company, and somehow they all had time to talk to me. That sounds nice, I said. One part of his story caught me up, though. You said you didn't think you would ever leave. What made you decide to move? He sighed, and he gave the impression that telling the story might be somewhat of an ordeal for him. I thought of backing off and telling him he didn't have to talk about it, but before I could say anything to soften my question, he started talking anyway. You grow up, I guess, he said, and though I didn't really know what that meant, I let it pass. I thought I'd move back after I got my bachelor's degree, he said. But, I don't know. You kind of get stuck, right? Stuck how? I asked. He gave me a humorless smile. I don't know. Same way anybody gets stuck after they graduate. I liked all three chicken fried steaks at all three diners and... I got used to the safety net of forever viable employment. It's nice not having to make decisions about where to buy your groceries because there's only one option. Usual stuff. I considered this and finally said, well, it looks like you're about to be unstuck. Yeah, it only took my college buddy getting kidnapped. It was definitely inappropriate, but we both laughed at that. If the trip to Seattle had been a little bit awkward, the trip home was anything but. As we turned off the highway and descended into the town of Burning Rock, Sam and I found ourselves in the middle of a spirited debate about the perils of starting a comic series mid-run. I'm just saying, you can't pick up a Spider-Man series mid-run and say it's too weird. Start at the beginning like a civilized person, I said. Sam laughed. I already know the ending. I don't want to go back and read something where I already know the ending. How do you know the ending? I shot back. It's called the internet? You should try it sometime. Trying to decipher the end of a story using the internet had really never occurred to me. Okay. Well, if you're not going to read it, I guess that's on you then. Speaking of weird books... Sam said, leaning his head back against the headrest and tilting it toward me. That's quite the whopper of a kid's story my great-grandma wrote, right? Yeah, I said. Do you think there's anything to it? He asked. I mean, do you think there really are monsters out there? Up until now, I would have bet on no, but we are dealing with teleportation now. I didn't want to believe it. I wanted to deny that I believed it. But the dreams were just too weird. The coincidences and connections were too random. I had to admit that there was a possibility that all of this was real. What about your mom? I asked. Would she know anything? 
I mean, maybe that would be awkward to ask her, though, I said, immediately realizing my mistake. Awkward? Sam asked. Well, because of your, well, whatever happened today. Oh, you mean Sam laughed? No, that was, look, that's just how it goes in my family. They're a little bit high strung and I'm kind of a slacker. I mean, we clash a little bit, but we're fine. Mom chewed me out and then gave me some money for books. That's always how it goes. We're all good. I tried to process that. I tried to process having a fight with someone and then just shaking it off like it was nothing. Yeah, I'll ask my mom what she thinks next time I talk to her, Sam said. And she won't send me to a mental institution, Sam replied. No. And for some reason, that made me really happy. We wound down to the main street of Burning Rock. I glanced over at Sam and smiled, and he smiled back. And when I turned back to the road, everything changed. The windshield was filled with a huge, ghostly white mass. I slammed on the brakes. Everything that happened next happened in slow motion. I felt my body pitch forward, all of my weight thrown against my seatbelt and held back by it at the same time. My hair whipped forward and then hung suspended and weightless in the air around my head. And the car stuttered to a halt. What was on the street? What was that massive bone-colored shape? My heart went cold in that instant, dropping down somewhere deep inside me where it couldn't be heard. And then I was seeing stars. I guess I must have hit my head against the cushy seat hard enough to see stars. I leaned forward, trying to see out the windshield. What was out there? What had I seen? It had been as big as a house, taking up my entire view, blocking the entire road. At first, I thought it was gone. Then I saw a swish of something. A long, jellyfish-tentacled thread snaking its way down a side street, making its way toward the ocean. It drifted past our windshield like an eel sliding through a darkened tank, and then it disappeared in between the bushes with little more than a rustle of leaves. I ripped my seatbelt off and threw my door open. Only then did I hear Sam groan. Only then did I remember that there was someone else in the car with me. I looked over at Sam. He was blinking like he was trying to reset his brain. Long, slow blinks with eyes that couldn't quite seem to focus. He squeezed his eyes shut and then opened them again. Are you okay? I said, grabbing his arm with both hands. I, I think so. I... There was no time for this. Sam, did you see that thing? I asked, pointing toward the ocean. The tail had vanished. It was like nothing had been there at all. I... I saw it, he said. I saw it. Are you okay? I hadn't really thought about whether I was okay. I blinked, tensed my body to check for damage, and finally nodded. Yeah, I said. Then my brain snapped back into gear. We have to go after it. Ivy, no, are you crazy? He said. That's absolutely not the play here. I ignored him. I jumped out of the car, leaving the door open, and jogged in between the bushes. 
The houses on either side of me stood, partially lit by bedroom lights and porch lights, casting their enormous shadows across my path. Beyond the houses, the only real light came from the moon. I ran down to the beach and then paused at the gate in the fence that overlooked the ocean. The thing we saw had been huge, and my brain felt battered by dual expectations. On one hand, I thought I should be able to see it clearly because of its size. On the other hand, when I remembered its shadowy texture and the way it blended in with the night, it wasn't that surprising that I couldn't see it now. I didn't even know what it was. Maybe it was an alien that had already jumped back into its ship. Maybe it was a mythical creature that had flown away on invisible wings. Maybe it was a giant chameleon, and maybe it was sitting only a few yards away, perfectly blended into the sands. Sam raced up beside me and skidded to a halt on the sandy asphalt. Ivy, we gotta go. We shouldn't be here, he said. We have no idea what that thing is. I didn't reply. That was kind of the point, wasn't it? We didn't know what it was, and I wanted to know. I didn't move. Instead, I stood there, searching the darkness systematically, feeling the cool ocean breeze on my face. If I'm totally honest, I think part of me was waiting for that breeze to turn into the warm breath of something lost in the darkness. Ivy. I felt Sam's hand on my arm again, but it barely registered. I know I was being unreasonable. I know it was insane to be out here with whatever that creature was, and even worse to drag my friend into it. But I forgot all of that when I saw movement along the coastline. For a moment, I thought I had imagined it because I still couldn't make out the actual shape of the monster. Then it moved again. A long, oozing motion, and I knew I had it. I pulled my arm free and tapped his hand with the back of mine, pointing out toward the water. Sam looked too, and I felt more than heard him inhale sharply. Now that I had spotted it, I found that I could see the thin slivers of silver where the moon outlined the creature's shape. I call it a creature because I don't know what else to call it, though from where I stood on the shore, it was still just a massive shape slipping into the ocean. For a moment, Sam stayed silent and still. Then I saw the dull blue light of his cell phone as he slowly slipped it out of his pocket, presumably to record. I might have considered doing so myself if I wasn't so convinced that this Loch Ness monster-esque footage would be entirely useless. Still, it couldn't hurt to let Sam film it. I stared at the creature until my eyes started to hurt and my head started to burn and until I started seeing other shapes and floaters along the edges of my vision. I was about to blink in an effort to refresh and refocus my eyes when the creature suddenly thrashed and twisted like a worm on a hook and leapt into the air. There, against the backdrop of the moonlit sky, I caught my first glimpse of the creature's full form. A thick, heavy body arced through the sky, propelled by two thin forearms, reflecting the moonlight as if it were another moon itself. 
the creature's tail broke off into a flowing mass of tentacles that were the last thing to disappear as it slipped away into the sea. I immediately started toward the water. October 2007. So monsters are real. In case you're still wondering if this was all a trick of the light, we have now reached the part of the story where I can unequivocally tell you that monsters are real. They're real, and while I suspected from the moment that I first saw one that they would change my life forever, I didn't expect what happened next. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon.